Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Faster Masters Rowing Radio, where having a rowing coach only makes you better. Following a program gives you a true pathway to becoming a confident rower who's respected by your peers. You can become the athlete you want to row with. I'm Rebecca Caro, and I'm joined by Marlene Royal. Hello, Rebecca, and nice to be back since I was away last weekend. Yeah, it was somewhat lonely. I know. No, I've a different dynamic to talking to your computer screen all on your own. I know it definitely is. Well, I think we're much happier when we're when we're both here and we're with our audience, and it's nice to be back and uh, on on with the show, right? Yeah. So before we go a lot further, I'm going to show you my photo for the week, and um, this is me with Natalie and my in the women's D double skulls racing on Lake Carapiro. We're looking very serious. And it's probably about stroke three of the race, I think. Uh, so straight off the start, slightly concerned that our leg drive doesn't look perfectly aligned and I'm bending my arms a bit before she is. But hey, you know, we can finesse these things. It can it, it can all be photoshopped. Absolutely. Well, and this is the benefit of having a regular doubles partner is that when you catch things that, you know, those are things that you, you can just continue to work on over time. Yeah. And there's definitely been times when I've caught a video of myself about one of my club mates caught a video of himself. And, oh, my goodness. Am I doing that? I had no idea. I kind of knew I was doing it. I didn't know it looked so hideous. Brilliant. So this past week, uh, this is where we talk about the bit of the show where we talk about what we're doing more broadly in our own rowing and coaching. So I'm going to kick off and say that I was two weeks ago, I was down in the South Island of New Zealand doing the um, Masters Championships down there, which was huge fun. I have covered that in other areas. I'm also writing the newsletter for the Legion of Rowers, and that'll be coming out on the 1st of July. That's all about everything to do with masters in New Zealand. And if anyone wants to join the newsletter, we would encourage you. Its website is lor.kiwi. Um, and the third thing that I'm working on is something up here in Auckland where my club is keen to do some active fundraising. And so I've been connecting with other groups of masters in local clubs just in our local region and I discovered something very interesting. One of the other clubs has a annual plan where each of the training groups in the club has to come up with a fundraising initiative and then do it. So if you want to move furniture or shovel, um, you know, horse poo and sell it or whatever, <laughs> You've you've got to come up with some ideas. And I thought, what a brilliant way to get the whole club working together, you know, towards an objective, which presumably they have something that they want to buy. So people can go, you know, I, I contributed to that. But I thought that was just a great thing to do together. Yeah. Well, and, and different training groups might really like to do different types of things. Like maybe one group wants to have a big car, car wash or another would yeah. like to to organize a big raffle or something like that, you know, so kind of depending on the skills of the people inside the group, right? Or there's, there's yeah, exactly. specialties. I love that. So if you're interested in fundraising, we did an episode two weeks ago, which is just about fundraising. So there's lots of ideas there. Um, but I just thought it was just so good that it was group by group. Um, 
my the reason I was getting in touch with them is we want to do some corporate rowing. So if anybody out there is interested in corporate rowing, get in touch and maybe we'll do a little private um, Zoom or something just to sort of talk through the structure of how we're going to run it um, and, you know, what we're charging and the regatta and, and a lot of the detail around there. Because it seems to me that rowing is, a, you know, the ultimate teamwork, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a good thing for corporates to do, particularly in summertime, you know, where, you know, it's nice to be outdoors and so on. So if anyone's interested in that, just message us and maybe we'll we'll put together a little a little event where we can have a collaboration rather than a webinar telling people what to do it be yeah i think more discuss discursive mm -hmm. what have you been up to well i was away um i did coach a sculling camp last weekend and it was predominantly predominantly masters not 100% there were a few juniors in there but um one of the things that i did during the weekend was i did a um, a pretty detailed rigging talk, which focused on master's needs and um, and how to to adjust boats with our master's needs in um, taken into consideration, especially oars and things about load and how to check to make sure that you're not rigged too heavy and what types of things that you need to be concerned about as well as kind of just you know gen the general overview of rigging but also you know since it was primarily masters in that talk i really focused on some of the differences for masters athletes which preludes nicely into our sponsor so this week the show is sponsored by the rigging for masters webinar you can get up-to-date advice uniquely orientated towards masters from experts in the rigging field Vulcan Nolte's advice on oars from different spoon shapes and how to rig for different shapes and also length and inboard and how these change with age. Mike Purser talks about how to rig for the correct drive time in your stroke. And Mike Davenport's overview of rigging concerns and how to approach rigging and your personal rigging skills so this is a pre-recorded webinar you can get it at fastermastersrowing.com forward slash rigging and uh, we know that uh, it is a perennial favorite amongst our listeners and uh, friends of the of the show now it's that time of the month where we welcome Jess DiCarlo. Jess, you're going to have to sit up, honey. You look like you're dropping off the bottom of the screen. Yeah, yeah we need you in the screen, Jess. We need you oh, in the screen. Eight. It's Book eight. of the Month. Yes, yes. Wait, so, Jess, oh, okay. what book did you choose for us this month? Um, so, I, <laughs> I've i been practicing this. Oh, this, great. This Olaf is... Tufka. And that looks like that's Norwegian. Yes. And I've been practicing the name. So... The machine translation is sharpening. Ah, um, okay. And I listened to it a hundred times and I think it's sharpening. Uh-huh. But I I was lucky enough to have a friend that I met through a Facebook growing group, um, Torbjorn, and he he was my uh, translator. And um so he said a good translation for 
Shadow Pings is Get a Grip! Oh, exclamation right. point. And the subtitle is You Can Always Get Better. And I love that. I mean, it definitely fits with what I think of uh, Tufta and, uh-huh. you know, having been in seven Olympics. Um, and I guess he did officially retire, I think. I, <laughs> or- I can't remember. Um, and how did how did you find this particular how did you find this book and find it particularly in Norwegian? Oh, um, I, I oh I follow him on um, Instagram, and so when he said that he was writing a book, I got very excited, and I even put a message, and he answered me, and I said, "Are you going to release this in English?" and or I said, can I buy a book? And he said, do you read Norwegian? And I said, no. <laughs> and um, so then I forgot about it. And then through my friend Torbjorn, uh, he posted that he read it and that he liked it. So I, I investigated and he actually gave me a link to buy the electronic book. And I was hoping that I could do some sort of machine translation. And I was able to. I, I read it in um, Kindle. Uh-huh. And there's a machine translation that's available through the app. So wow. I did okay. You know, like there were a couple of things like the title. I had to get that um, cleared through my friend. And um, and there were some, there was another word, the word for stroke, rowing stroke. It is talk, T-A-K. T-A-K, uh-huh. And um, it was translated as roof. Oh dear, that's a little so bit of a difference, right? Stroke yeah. group, you know, but so it was kind of confusing, but I figured it out through um context that yeah, it actually meant um the rowing stroke. But it's basically like uh a lot of advice, um and you know, just some ups and downs that he's had over the years. But the thing that I was really um surprised about, um, not because it's not common, but just I just didn't know that much about him. And he actually is very big on visualization. Mm-hmm. And he worked with a sports psychologist. Um, well, I guess she's a team psychologist. Um, and I, I forget her name, Brit, um, Brit something. Um, but um, so he, there was this one passage I thought I would read that was really interesting. And I know I, I'm pretty sure you've talked about visualization on the show before. Um, and so I thought I would read this. Yeah, definitely. Um, and this was uh, the night before the finals for Beijing, um, okay. 2008. So, um, So he says, after the Athens Olympics in 2004, a plan was put forward to Beijing four years later. I would say that my Olympic final spanned four years, but the most important preparation was now. I sat there alone in my hotel room in the shape of my life the day before the day. Uh, done with the physical sessions, the meals were done, and I had received one last treatment from Marius, the physiotherapist. All that remained was the deal with Brit in my room where she was going to show me how we could visually go through tomorrow's final. And um, 
he sat with his eyes closed and imagined myself on competition day as if I were on a television screen. All the things I saw and experienced with my eyes again, I told Britt. Um, and so they did that for, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes, but then she, something was bothering her. So she came back and they spent another um, 10 minutes just visualizing all the elements of that first stroke. Um, so they, they talked about, it was literally that first stroke that they talked about for 10 minutes. And he talked about things like, um, I started to tell her what it would feel like when I was in an optimal starting position, the feeling I had as the start went on, the pressure on the veins, how I hung in the veins through my fingers. Then I posted about the push that went from the ball of the foot uh, under the toe, through my foot, through the body, and up into my head and back into my fingertips. So he he gets very detailed about the start and um, the, using visualization. And I know you that's definitely in your book that you've handed out, Marlene, in your materials, right? I've done a little bit on it. Um, I, you know, I was never very good at it. Somehow, um, I was, I would take, I was more able to try to to sense what something felt like. So it looked, it sounds like he, he was able to combine the sensation also with the visualization, but it's interesting that she felt kind of that, that she, she felt that may, maybe there was some disturbed energy or something wasn't clear that, that she came back and yeah. they, that they spent so much time to work on that first stroke. And I would imagine what type of intuition that she must have had in order to, in order to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she works with a bunch of not only athletes, but also musicians, any type of performance. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was really cool. And I figured that at the highest level, you know, it must be like that now you know, that you really, you need to get every um, advantage you can. And I just looked up her name. I just wanted to get it right. It's Britt Tadget Foxwell. And is she part of the Norwegian team? She was, yes. She was on, on the staff. Um, I, I think it was, I don't know if it was um, in 2004 or 2000, yeah, 2004 and 2008. I'm not sure. But she was listed in the, the media program I found um, online. But I think now she's uh, she works with the, the English National Ballet School, the British Olympic Association. Mm. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, when you're talking about, I mean, when you think about the 2016 Olympics and, and how tight that final was, like two centimeters between um, Demir Martin and, uh, and Mahe, I mean, I guess you have to get every possible advantage you can. Oh, well, and absolutely. And how does he actually, how does he begin the book? How does he start talking about, how does he introduce the, the concept of always getting better? And, you know, one of, one of my sayings is, you know, improvement has no age limit. And, you know, mm. after seven Olympics, that, that is quite, that is quite a long rowing career and, and to be continually improving, continually being able to, to, as you said, like squeeze 
inches out of your boat run and out of and so much out of yourself to get up to that level um, is quite impressive. But how does he talk about it at the beginning of the book? Well, the beginning of the book, he started with a story <laughs> where he went hiking with his family. I think that was the very beginning. And he got, they were in Switzerland, I believe. So I guess that was the Alps. Um, and so the title of the book is called Sherpings, S-K-J-E-R-P-I-N-G-S. I just saw that question. Um, and so he was in the mountains hiking and I guess he went off on his own. So he had two little kids with him and his wife. And he went exploring, I guess, to see if the kids could handle it. I don't know. But it was rocky and there was a cliff and he got into a little trouble with his footing. And he, <laughs> I don't know how close it was like to being a serious situation, but he, he focused on his breathing. And that was the point of the story that, um, that the, the title of that first chapter is breathe with the stomach and t and the head will follow. So he is very into that. Um, you know, just you can't think straight if you're scared, if you're tense, if you're not focused on the current moment, what's happening. And so mm -hmm. he just calmed his breathing and he was able to think clearly and get out of it. There was something, I think, I don't know if he didn't have his cell phone or if he didn't have a signal, but he couldn't call his wife, you know, so and that's, that's how the whole book started. And he, you know, that he, he focused a lot on the breathing and the power of it. Um, and then, yeah, went on into the visualization. So, I mean, it was, he, he's, He's a very thoughtful person. And did he start uh, at that time? At that time, did he have a regular daily practice, or that's something that he then that he then started to develop? Because I, you have yeah. to develop these skills the, the same as you would develop your technical skills or your strength, and you know to develop to develop visualization skills or skills to meditate or to focus on your breathing or to come into the into the present because you yeah. do have to row one stroke at a time, right? Even one part of one stroke at a time. Well, that's interesting uh, for another reason, but I, that's why I wanted to read that part where he sat with his coach, you know, the night before the final. Um, but he, I don't think it, he gave any, um, it, I don't think he he got into detail about when he started it. it to me, it seemed like he was always um, kind of an introspective person um, from a young age. Mm -hmm. um, he talked about his life on the farm and, you know, being nine years old and sitting up in the rafters of the barn and thinking, you know, what he wanted to do with his life kind of. And <laughs> um, I, it's something about that. So I, I just get the impression that he's, introspective and so he always had that sort of you know tendency but um i am i i can't remember if he started working the with the um psychologist through the olympic team or 
or how that worked exactly, but I think it was through the Olympic team. Did he talk about any rough spots that he encountered? Oh yeah, that's what I meant to get back to. Um, after 2008, he said that he he had to um, he he did well. I mean, he won gold in 2004 and 2008, I believe, in the single. And so after 2008, he said that he, his life started to get busier. Um, I think maybe that's, you know, around that time that um, he got married and started a family. And um, I get the impression he wasn't recovering enough. And I thought about you and, you know, the emphasis on recovery is, I mean, that's the second half of training. So, um, and he, he said, I had to learn that he was always just doing what he had done that worked before. And he had to he said he took a year off, by which I don't think he means completely off. He said, I had to start rowing slowly and mm -hmm. rebuild his his stroke from the basics um, and not try to overpower it. And it was just fascinating. And then, well, I guess, may, I don't know. Well, in 2012, I think he rode the single again and didn't make the A final. And then in 2012 and 16, he rode the double and won medals mm -hmm. in both. So, um, yeah, it was, I mean, he, he, I didn't know about that tough, tough spot for him, but. Um, well, it does, yeah. and it does show that he was intuitive enough to understand that he needed a year off or say just, I'm sure he was physically active, but a year off from the, the I would say the mental concentration of training. So that actually yeah. fits quite well into what our topic is today for our podcast. Oh, yeah. So today we are talking about rest and recovery. Ah. Thank you, Jess. That was yeah, thank you, Jess. That's fascinating. And I think a great information for people who use the Kindle app to know that you can that there is a translation feature on that. That's quite good to know. Yeah. I just want like to say it's not, too. <laughs> yeah, it's not super easy, but um, it, it does work. You have to be um, persistent. Excellent. Tack. Tack. Yeah. Righty-ho. So rest and recovery is probably what I would call the unsexy part of rowing. It's because we're active people, we think it's doing nothing and therefore it's not exciting or interesting. But as anyone who has followed a program over a period, if you want to have a peak performance, first you have to approach it rested and build up to it gradually. And after a peak performance, if you want to have a second peak in that year, and many athletes who race will have a winter peak and a summer peak, you need to reset so you build up to your peak and then you need to drop down again before you can build up again to a higher peak and that is about physiology so let's talk first about recovery in the short term from you know one training session to the next what are the frameworks things that people need to appreciate marlene well i consider recovery a training category um just like we talk about our training categories of intensity, 
um, recovery is is a training category and something that we have to consciously build into um, our weekly training program. So if if you think about just your your day to day sessions, there may be uh, some people may have a morning session and do something in the evening. They may train once a day. Um, they may have trained three times a week, four times a week. Those ses- the period of time between your sessions are recovery periods. So, for example, if you were, or this could also be from race to race, also um, in a regatta situation. But, but when you need to recover for your next training, so to speak. The things that you need to look at are uh, your hydration, your nutrition. Do you need to to lie down and sleep? Because sleep is a the best recovery method is sleep. Now, that may not always be possible in a day when you have to go to work and maybe you have to do something again in the evening. But even short naps are terrific for your recovery. But I think you know your first thing is your nutrition and replacing the um, some of the water and replacing some of the calories that you've burned up so that you can replenish your glycogen. And glycogen um, in your muscles is what helps fuel your muscle action. And if you have that feeling like your muscles feel some days really heavy and kind of sore, that's often because your glycogen levels are depleted and and that's what makes you feel like when you talk about heavy legs or just, oh, I just, my, it's really, it, if you're telling yourself it's hard to walk up the stairs, that's a really good signal that it's, it's a muscle glycogen. And that, that, you know, that's based on nutrition. You know, you, you use up, your liver has a certain amount, you know, you use it up in a, in a hard training session and then your nutrition is what replaces that. So these are your immediate, um, it might be getting out of the heat. If you were training in the hot sun, so oh, these the cold when oh, we the were cold. really yes. cold. My doubles partner when I was racing got very cold and wet in the first race, and she was severely affected later in the regatta. Yes, it can create a lot of fatigue. So looking at these things, like what do I need to put into my body or put on my body to help me get back to a, a state of homeostasis? Think of think of it that day. What do you have to do to get back to normal? Um, so those are important between recovery sessions. If you are someone who does two activities a day, the nutrition in between is quite important so that you have some fuel for the, for the next session. If you've got a day between your, your training days, you've got a little bit more time um, because you have your, your regular eating schedule and your regu- regular sleep schedule. So there's session to session and then there's kind of day to day. Um, hard day to easy day sessions may include a reducing the intensity. So one day is a harder, more stressful training session. The next day is an easier training session, what we call a technical session or active rest where you're moving and you're still, um, you're, you may be working on things, but, but it's really kind of low intensity not overly stressful so so you're not building up more fatigue you're not piling fatigue upon fatigue upon fatigue in the session so moderating your hard easy sessions can help that recovery 
from day to day as well. So if you are listening today and you are hearing things that you think might be useful for yourself in your rowing, please consider becoming a sponsor of the Faster Masters Rowing Podcast. Our supporters can donate monthly and donations start at $1. Go to fastermastersrowing.com forward slash podcast. Rest is the other half of recovery. It's like the kind of obvious bedfellow. And, you know, athletes get tired and typically need a certain number of hours sleep. So one form of rest is sleep. Do you have a general rule of thumb on this? The more, the better. Um, that's what marathoner Bill Rogers says. <laughs> uh, honestly, there, there's a, I, for for a training athlete, a training masters, you know, seven to nine hours of sleep. I think the minimum is seven hours, and that's certainly from a medical point of view. Seven hours mm-hmm. seems to be the minimum to maintain a pretty healthy lifestyle. But certainly, if you're very active, you need you need more because it it's a physical rest as well as a mental rest, yeah. and you know. And then in terms of your hormones, you know, there's a lot going on when you sleep. So um, it, it is a, it is a very important uh, for for um, monitoring your weight, for your your mental sharpness, for your focus, for your concentration. Because as we know, when we're fatigued, when we don't sleep well and many masters have issues with sleeping, they may w- wake up or be interrupted in their sleep and not be able to fall back sleep again at night. That's a very, very, very common um, issue. I think naps are really important. Even if you, even if you, a 15 minute cat nap or close your eyes and uh, count to 20 and then back down again, you know, even something as simple as that uh, can be a, a good reset during the day. But if you can be horizontal that's the best, you know, honestly, that that's the best. If you can really just lie down, even if it's just for five or 10 minutes, that can be quite refreshing between sessions. Um, but there's also those rest, there's also other ways to rest. Like sleep is the total rest. It's, it's the ultimate, okay? <laughs> um, other types of rest, things that, that stimulate recovery can be sports massage. It could be a sauna. Um, it could be, um, as we, we talked about, uh, you know, things that help you kind of flush your system. Some, some people like to take contrast showers, hot, hot to cold, these types of things, um, fit into the greater rest umbrella, so to speak, but they are things that, you know, you might not do that in between training sessions, but you might do that once or twice a week when you have a greater um, a longer rest period. You also have to plan rest days in your weekly schedule, rest weeks in your annual schedule, and some Olympic athletes plan rest years in their cycles. So those may be times when you are still active. Perhaps you you choose uh, to do some cross training for a couple of weeks after a major championship easy cross training, maybe you're cycling, or maybe you cross country ski in the winter. 
and you're active, but it's not as mentally concentrated as when you're training for your championship rowing races. So those can be rest periods that you just take the stress off. You allow, you allow yourself a break from the intensity of the focus of the day-to-day, week-to-week training. And you still do things to, to feel good, but allow your body to get some recovery from hard, hard training because your nervous system needs that, those relaxation periods after a very concentrated season. A change is as good as a rest, as they often say. Yes, That's why absolutely. On holiday. So I had a very interesting rowing concierge discussion with a master's athlete who worked in healthcare, caught COVID early on in the pandemic, recovered, went back to work, caught it again, different variant, and found returning to training extremely challenging with very clear um, relapses after building back into the training. And I'm not a medical professional, but uh, and, and they were. So, you know, it was a very interesting sort of interface with a desire to come back to full training and a reluctant recognition that they didn't want to stop rowing, but also rowing was really causing them some severe problems, one of which had caused a hospitalization. And the only suggestion that I could make, which I thought might be helpful, was tracking heart rate variability. Mm-hmm. And this is a morning test that you do when you wake up you take your heart rate for a minute using usually the camera on your phone and it tests the micro differences from one heartbeat to the next and this is said to be a very good indicator of your state of recovery is that correct yes yes and it's looking at heart rate variability actually looks at the the fluctuations of what is happening in between your heart rates so that it so that it's comparing your your, the activity of your sympathetic versus parasympathetic nervous system so there are depending on what um app or what modality you may be using you know there are different numbers and different parameters ratings and they will give you they will give you um an idea for example like in your age group a common value is such and such. And, you know, you, you can start to one, you can start to see where you compare relative to your age group, but it is one way to compare you to you. Because Mm. if, if you change a training cycle and you're starting say to increase volume or you're adding intensity, you may see at first that you start to carry a bit more fatigue and your numbers will tell you that. And then as, you know, given that you get enough sleep, given that you didn't drink a whole bottle of wine the night before, okay, you know, given these factors that affect your recovery, you're not dehydrated, you know, dehydration, sleep, alcohol, just general stress, all affect this factor. So it it is a quite, it's quite an encompassing factor, but you will see when you're more recovered, because you will see that those values will be higher. And when they're Mm. lower, it's important to kind of just pay attention to them and say, well, you know what, maybe, maybe I'm just going to go for a walk today. That's an active recovery exercise. I'm just going to go for a walk. Maybe I'm just going to rest today. And, and instead of training, I'm going to get some, an extra hour of sleep this morning. 
So it, it's a very, very good way to track that as well as your, it will give you your morning resting heart rate as well. And that's another, mm -hmm. that's another um, simple value for someone who doesn't use heart rate variability is track what your morning resting heart rate is and see, you know, learn what's normal for you. And then if you, you know, I used to use the, the rule of thumb, if, if it's 10 beats higher than normal, you need to definitely not do any hard work that day um, or take a rest day, you know, or, you know, if you were scheduled to do a hard session, wait, reschedule it until your heart rate is coming back down to a little bit more normal. And um, because sometimes we don't know how our nervous systems are going to react because training isn't just training. Training is combined with life. And, and if life is stressful and there's a lot of, you know, you're dealing with family, maybe there's extra, just extra demands on your time, you know, that that's going to affect your fatigue levels. And you will see that in heart rate variability. So it's, it's quite a good way to monitor your day-to-day -day recovery and make decisions based on, on that information. Yeah. One of the hardest things in life, to do is to have a vision for what good looks like and to decide when you quit. So a good example is say you're buying a house at auction, we go to a, an auction to buy some furniture. You've it's always said you should decide beforehand what is your highest price that you will pay. And the inverse applies, say you have a share portfolio and the price is falling at what point do you cut your losses and sell? And these are two, they're, they're, they're really challenging situations. And your heart rate variability is the equivalent for your personal fitness and wellness and rowing life. And so understanding the high and the low, what it means, what you feel, and then recognizing that there are things that this can show up that you cannot feel. So one of the things with the simple resting heart rate is if you have a virus coming on, like just a cough, it will often show with a five beat higher heart rate in the morning than your normal. So mm -hmm. I am very predictable. My heart rate for much of my life has between been between 48 and 52 beats in a minute. It's just it just has been. That has been me. And plus five was a, an early warning for a light day. And plus 10, I generally rested. Mm -hmm. And you can also track a few other things. Um, I, I have a, a spreadsheet, which we used to call a daily diary, which had um, how many litres of, of water did you drink the day before? And, and um, beer, Coke and Sprite and coffee and tea don't count towards that total. Uh, secondly, what is the colour of your urine in the morning? Just on a shade of, of yellow from pale to dark um, and then how many hours sleep did you have so those three things plus your morning heart rate are a very good cheap way of tracking mm -hmm. your personal well-being yes and and it, it is important you know there's always that temptation to push a little bit too hard sometimes and you know I think we like to advise people err on the side of conservative you know it's much better that you skip two days of training than miss two weeks of training and it's the same thing with injuries you know it's much better to nip it in the bud and take those two extra days and use them to go do something else you know and 
allow yourself some recovery because if you do get ill or you do get an injury, that's going to take much, much more out of your training. And, um, you know, it, it, even just a common cold could affect your training for, for three weeks or so. So um, I think, I think prevention and monitoring this on a, on a day-to-day -day basis is really important. There are certainly people that I know who have had post-viral conditions, which have viruses gone into their heart and have ended up with very severe ME-type conditions where their body is so exhausted that they're really not able to function in the way they were before. Um, so one of them was a coxswain and um, just really, really challenging facing the rest of your life. So the, please, yeah, err on the side of caution. Absolutely. And uh, understand what is the worst that could happen because it's reasonably scary and probably not a choice that any of us would actively make for ourselves. Yes, yes. And, you know, I think people worry about deconditioning and mm -hmm. you really have to stop training for quite a long time to, to get really deconditioned so you know if you're able to if say you you train regularly six days a week you know if you are able to even just do two sessions a week which doesn't sound like very much but it's enough mm -hmm. for maintenance and if you don't feel that well or you feel you're getting overstressed one of the things i would recommend is simply stay with your category six type workouts your low easy mm -hmm conversational pace just simply don't raise your heart rate up really high so you know that that's something if you just really really have to do something you cannot completely rest just keep it very low intensity um and and let keep your heart rate keep your heart rate intensity down keep it conversational um and and that will that will help you recover what you have to avoid are are the hard racing type intervals that type of work must be avoided if you're seeing that you're you're in a state of of fatigue that's you know not getting not improving on a daily basis well there we go a quick canter through rest recovery personal monitoring and heart rate variability this has been faster masters rowing radio the show dedicated to masters athletes who want fun, fitness and confidence in their rowing. You can become a student of the sport by buying a Faster Masters Rowing Programme subscription today at fastermastersrowing.com forward slash join. Or if you want to look at our webinars and ebooks, go to the Our Courses page at the top of the menu. We very much look forward to seeing you all next week. Till next time. Goodbye. Bye.